Thank you, Pastor Rick Muchow and Micah and Paul and all the band. Uh, and we are in a series here at our church called Is Heaven For Real? And we're looking all this month into next month at what the Bible has to say about heaven. And I'm excited to do that with you today. I, I am so excited uh, that Pastor Rick is able to be here with us today uh, all the way from Southern California. Pastor Rick, I, I know you know this. But you're one of my favorite people in the world. Uh, literally, you know, one of the, uh, you know, one of the greatest worship leaders in the world is Pastor Rick Muchow, one of the greatest Christians in the world. And Danielle and I just love hanging out with you and your wife, Laura. Uh, and it's funny because only Christianity could bring people like uh, Rick and I together. Uh, because Rick is, if, if you haven't noticed, if you spend time, you'll get this. But Rick is, is pretty artsy. That's not offensive to call you artsy, right? I mean, you're, you're pretty artsy, right? Creative, artsy type of person. Um, you know, we spend time, I mean... He is, like, I'm at one spectrum of artsy, like, n- not artsy, like artsy with the, like, Ghostbuster sign through it. Um, and, I mean, Rick is, like, one of the most creative people in the world. But he has a son who is a stud football player. Uh, and in California, I mean, football is king. And he has a son that is a stud football player uh, who is being recruited by colleges. He's playing junior college ball in California now. And when his son was a high school senior, I went out to watch his son play football just because, you know, I've always wanted to see uh, California football. His son's team was playing the team that Mark Sanchez played for uh, back in the day. And, and uh, they had a couple players going to USC and UCLA and, I mean, other places. I mean, big-time high school football. How many of you, by the way, yesterday got up to Lee Summit West? Talk about big-time high school football. I got a chance to watch it on TV. Man, that was cool. Our own hometown, Lee Summit West Titans, put a pound in on Staley yesterday on live now. National television. That's beside the point. Um, so Rick and I are sitting up in the stands, and you know I know a lot about football, nothing about music. Uh, Pastor Rick knows everything about music. I ascertained at this game very little about football. But here, here's what he said. So we're we're sitting, and his son is a linebacker. He plays linebacker, and uh, you know he we're sitting there watching the game, and he he leans back to me. He says, Christian. Um, he said, Watch watch what the offense does. Um, and he said, I, I know what they're getting ready to do and where their guys are getting ready to go. And so well, how do you know that? And he said, well, I've been watching their choreography and they, they, um, they're doing the same thing. And I said, Rick, there's no choreography in football, man. Those are called plays. Those are plays that you see. That's not choreography. And he's like, wasn't, well, you know, isn't everyone like going to a specific spot at a specific time, a lot like choreography? And I said, yeah, but it, football is called, called plays. And he's like, yeah, but don't they, don't they practice their, their uh, choreography at, at football rehearsal? And I said, Rick, you don't have rehearsal in football. You have practice. So you have football practice where you learn plays that you run in the game. We don't call it choreography and rehearsal. He reminded me of that when he came again last night, that, uh, that, that first conversation. So we are as different night and day on the spectrum of backgrounds. But, man, our hearts for Jesus are, 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 uh, are the exact same. And I asked him to sing that specific song, Tears in Heaven, for, for this reason, this series. You know, Eric Clapton, many of you know the story of that song, uh, Lost His Young Son. Wrote that song about his son, if he would see him in heaven again. And, and that comment, uh, there'll be no tears in heaven. You know, that's actually a Bible verse. Uh, I won't ask you to look it up now, but in two weeks, uh, the message title is going to be, What's Not in Heaven? And one of the things that the Bible says is not in heaven is tears. There's no tears. There's no sorrow. That's Sunday, September 9th. What's not in heaven? So I challenged you last week. I want to challenge you every Sunday 
come so you can learn something else about heaven. Next week, we're going to talk about uh, what happens to make heaven party. Why heaven parties? And we're going to talk about partying in heaven next week. But today, we're continuing the theme of eternity which is a theme, heaven, eternity, uh, the afterlife. It's a theme that's not just found in church. It's found all over the culture. How many of you have seen at least one of the Indiana Jones movies? Uh, I mean, legendary movies in their own right. And I love all the Indiana Jones movies. Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, that famous you know, scene of Indy, Indiana Jones in that snake pit with that cobra that's staring at him. I mean, if you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, you never forget that moment with Indiana down in the snakes. You never forget the minute when the Nazis find the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant and they take the lid off and everyone dies. Uh, you might remember Temple of Doom, which I remember in my head for when they got served that eyeball soup uh, over there in that small village and baby snakes. And I mean, just disgusting, disgusting stuff. Believe it or not, that movie Temple of Doom is why they instituted a, a PG-13 rating because it was a PG movie that was so gross and violent that they said, you know, this, this is, doesn't meet our standards, but it's certainly not PG. So that, that movie created a whole other section of, uh, of monitoring uh, and of rating movies. Uh, but the one that, that's my favorite is The Last Crusade because in the La- Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade, uh, Indiana and his team were seeking after immortality. They were seeking after eternal life. They were seeking after the fountain of youth. They were trying to find the secret of how you live forever. And listen to me. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you know the secret of how you can live forever? Because it's not found in a cup hidden away in the mountains of Jordan. The secret to living forever is found in the Bible. And today I want to take you with me to the book of Revelation. It's the very last book in the Bible. And we're going to be in Revelation chapter 21. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 21. If you don't have your Bible, our ushers are going to come down the aisle. If you need to borrow a Bible today because you forgot one, wave at them. If you don't have a Bible uh, and you want a Bible, this one's yours. We've given away over 300 Bibles since we started our church last September. Just like this, we hand them out when we start the service. Uh, and if people don't have it, this becomes yours. Write your name in it. You can have it, keep it, go home, read it. Uh, I promise you, if you read it long enough, consistently enough, uh, it will change your life. But the book of Revelation is a really interesting, very difficult to understand, kind of mind-boggling book. The very last book of the 66 in the Bible. But the word revelation simply means, in the Greek language, uh, it's, it's the word we would, we would term apocalypse in the English language. Uh, it simply means an unveiling. The word revelation literally is, is this picture. It's somebody walking over to a curtain. Uh, it, it looks very much like this. Here's what the word revelation looks like. It's somebody walking over to a curtain and pulling it back so you can see what's behind it. And what Jesus is doing in the book of Revelation is Jesus is walking to the future and he's walking to the veil that, that keeps us from seeing into the future and for seeing the end times. And in the book of Revelation, he pulls back the veil so we can see what's going to happen in the future, and not just in the future, but so that we can see what's going to happen one day in eternity, so we can see what heaven is like. You know, it's interesting. We are a, uh, we are a people, and have been for years, that love to show pictures of what's going on. It began with postcards, uh, and I don't know if the postcard industry is close to dead, but it started with postcards, and then it moved to Zanga. Does anyone remember Zanga, one of the first social media sites where you'd post pictures of what was going on in your life and then MySpace and now it's moved to Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, 
Um, we are obsessed with taking pictures of things we're experiencing and showing them to the world, whether it's vacation or our daily activities or a hair in our food at a restaurant, just, I mean, or our kids' crazy hair on Sunday. Just get on your Facebook account and see how many people posted pictures today of something they saw that they wanted you to see. Revelation is a picture. Revelation 50 years ago could have been described as a postcard. Uh, a postcard. Today, Revelation is an Instagram. Jesus is trying to give us a picture of what the end times will look like, of what eternity will look like. And today we want to show that to you. Why? Because we want to go to heaven. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do in this series. All series long, I I want you to pray for and think about one specific person. We began talking about this last week, who, who is in your life, who you're not for sure whether or not they're going to heaven. And what we want to do all this month is we want to pray that we can understand heaven enough that we can give them a picture, not of the past, but of the future. And we can invite them to receive God's gift of salvation, uh, Jesus' promise of forgiveness, and eternal life in heaven as well. As a matter of fact, on September 23rd, write that note on the top of your sermon notes. Uh, If you have those sermon notes, write that date, September 23. We're bringing in a special speaker that day. His name is Tony Nolan. We're calling that Harvest Sunday. We're praying that day that everyone in our church will bring one person with them, a friend, a family member, a coworker, a neighbor, who they're not sure if that person is a Christian and they're going to heaven, but they want them to be exposed to that, that truth so they can choose that for themselves. So I want you to be in praying about and thinking about. Next week we'll actually have cards that you can write a name down and you can pray over and you can take home and put on your refrigerator because we want you to think all month long about who in your life do you want to make sure is going to heaven And we want you to invite them on September 23rd. Tony Nolan is going to give one of the most powerful messages you've ever heard about giving your life to Jesus. So you can not only have all Jesus offers, but one day eternal life with Jesus as well. But let me ask you a question today. Do you know anything about heaven? Do you know what it looks like? Do you know where it is? Do you know what you'll do? Do you know who will be there? You know, I listened to that song, Tears in Heaven, and all those questions about, you know, will this happen? Will this happen? Will this happen? Will you know my name? Will you be the same? What do you know about heaven? Because the Bible gives us some very clear, specific truth about heaven. And by the time you leave today, I want you to know two things. I want you to know a whole lot of what heaven's going to be like, and I want you to know that you're going there. Those are my two goals for this message. What do you, what do you want to accomplish today, Christian? I want you to know what heaven's going to be like And I want you to know that you're going there. That's my two goals today. Uh, So I'm going to try to answer three questions for you. If you look at your sermon notes that we handed out and you get your pen ready, uh, three questions I think every Christian should have answered when it comes to heaven. What does the Bible say about heaven? Three questions. The first question would be this. Christian, uh, what is heaven like? Or if we could ask God, God, what is heaven like? Uh, If we could ask Jesus, Jesus, what is heaven like? In Revelation chapter 21, the clearest picture of what I would call the eternal heaven. Uh, so the, the eternal life forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Uh, the eternal life is found in Revelation 21. And it gives us the clearest glimpse as to what heaven is. And I want to read that to you today in kind of bits and pieces. We're going to start in Revelation chapter 21. We're going to read the first five verses. And here's what John saw as God showed him a picture of eternity. John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. 
They will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Thus the song. There will be no more death. There'll be no more mourning, no crying, no pain for the old order of things has passed away. Verse five. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said to John, write this down. I want people who come after you to know what heaven is going to be like. Write this down for these words are trustworthy and they're true. You know, I don't I don't know how much you caught in those first five verses, but there's a bunch there to describe to us biblically what heaven is going to be like one day. Have you ever heard heard the uh, heard the phrase used heaven on earth or you've used that phrase heaven on earth? I want you to remember that phrase heaven on earth, because what we just read in Revelation chapter 21 verses one through five is we talk about heaven, the eternal heaven. The first thing you need to understand from the Bible is that the eternal heaven is on earth. Say, so, wait a minute, like, like planet earth, planet earth, like in the Milky Way galaxy, like in the Milky Way, gal- like, like planet earth that we live in right now, like planet earth that we live in right now. Now it will be different. It'll be new. It'll be changed. But the Bible says the eternal heaven is on earth. You say like, where on earth? Is it going to be in Missouri? No. Say, oh, it's going to be in Kansas. No, it's not going to be in Kansas. It's going to be in Ohio. That's where it's going to be because that's, that's, that's where God's heart is truly in, in Ohio. Um, no, it's going to be, heaven is going to be on a new earth, the Bible says, that, uh, that's going to look vastly different than the one we have now. But there are an extreme amount of earthly features and characteristics and landmarks in heaven according to the Bible. Uh, I had this bombshell dropped on me about 10 years ago. Have any of you heard of the Left Behind series books? Any, any of you heard that? Show of hands, just so I can know I'm talking more than five. Okay. The author of those books was a man named Tim LaHaye. Tim LaHaye was behind the biblical theology of those books. Jerry Jenkins was behind the narrative story of those books. And a few years ago, about 10, uh, Tim LaHaye was in town and he was talking about the Left Behind books. And I drew the lucky straw and got to be his chauffeur around town for two or three days, which means I had private access to ask him any question that I wanted to ask him. And, and I, like you, have had and have lots of questions about heaven and eternal life and the end times and what it's going to be like and tribulation and the war and the millennium. And all these words that I had heard in church, you know, I needed things figured out. And I remember driving down the road asking Tim, you know, tell me about heaven. You know, like, where is it? Where is it going to be? And I remember him saying, you know, Christian, the eternal heaven is actually on earth. And I said, What? That makes sense. That can't be right. And he said, have you ever read Revelation chapter 21? I said, yeah, I have. He said, have you ever paid attention to it? Well, apparently not. Um, The Bible says that the eternal heaven is a new heaven and a new earth. And that the heavenly heaven, I'm using two different terms here. Eternal heaven that's forever and ever and ever. The heavenly heaven would be if you or I were to die today as Christians, we would go to heaven The Bible gives us a a narrative that what is in heaven now, the heavenly heaven, the spiritual heaven, in eternity when the earth is made brand new, that heaven will actually drop out of wherever it is now with all the people who are in it now, and it will settle right on planet earth. And the heavenly city in heaven right now will be on planet earth, and you actually will be able to go in and out of it, but it's a city based on the earth that God created in Genesis chapter 1. The Bible says, according to Revelation 21.10, that the eternal heaven has mountains 
for those of you who are mountain people, love to ski, but it's going to be more magnificent than anything we could ever imagine. How many of you have ever, ever seen the Rocky Mountains? I mean, they take your, your breath away, right? Do you know there's a mountain right now on Mars called Olympus Mons that's five times larger than the highest peak of the Rocky Mountains? It's 80,000 feet above sea level, more than 14 miles above sea level. I believe the mountains in heaven will dwarf anything that we're used to. And you say, well, am I going to be able to ski the Rockies? Maybe times 100. But John said in 2110, as he looked at the heavenly city, he was on a mountain in an eternal heaven looking down on the heavenly city. You know, the, the Bible says that there are rivers in heaven in Revelation twenty two twelve, 12. Uh, and the Bible clearly says that there's no sea, there's no ocean. So scholars say there have to be lakes. If there are rivers in heaven, rivers have to run somewhere, so there have to be lakes. I texted one of my friends in church who's a wakeboarding fanatic and said, hey, I just discovered this week that there will be lakes in heaven. If there's going to be lakes in heaven, there's probably going to be wakeboarding in heaven. And he responded back, well, of course, uh, you know, because that's what his perfect heaven would be. The Bible says that there are trees, physical trees, like we understand trees in Revelation 22.2. And, and, and more than just regular trees, here's what I love. In Revelation 7.9, John sees pictures of people with palm branches in heaven. Palm branches mean palm trees. Palm trees means tropical weather somewhere, right? I mean, can I get an amen and some copper tone? I mean, palm trees in heaven. <laughs> Praise God. I mean, this is a place I want to be. The Bible talks of animals in Revelation 8:13, John sees an eagle flying around in heaven. In Revelation 19:14, John sees horses going in and out of heaven. In Isaiah 11:6 through 9, Isaiah speaks of the eternal kingdom with lions and lambs and and you know all kinds of animals in heaven. I often hear people say, you know, will my pets go to heaven? I don't know if your pets will go to heaven. You know, a few years ago, one of my favorite stories of of my two kids. Uh, we have a little dog named Rudy who's, you know, just the, the friendliest little dog that you would ever meet. He, you know, he's dumb as a box of rocks, but he's a really friendly guy. And my kids adore him. I mean, they think that he is their younger brother. I mean, they literally refer to him as their little brother. He's a little dog, but, I mean, he's like family to them. And I was sitting downstairs a few years ago studying uh, and getting ready for some ministry that I was doing. Um, and my kids, they're upstairs, the dog's upstairs, and like an explosion happens upstairs. I hear doors flying open, and I hear feet trampling, and they come racing downstairs. Dad, 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 dad. You know, and I'm alarmed saying, you know, what? And they say, Dad, we just invited Jesus, Jesus into Rudy's heart. We just invited Jesus into Rudy's heart, and Rudy's going to go to heaven now. And I look down, and Rudy's just wagging his tail, and he's like, this is awesome, you know. Clearly, Rudy's a charismatic because he, I mean, he's like going crazy. It's like, wow. Like, Dad, Rudy's a Christian. And they were like dead serious. Like, listen, I don't know if Rudy's going to go to heaven. If someone said all dogs go to heaven, I know cats will probably go to hell. Um, but, you know, I don't know. <laughs> if my mother were here, she just would have got up and walked out, just left. Even as her son, she just said, you know, that's, that is heresy and that's not funny, Christian. And I don't know. Maybe there'll be cats in heaven. Maybe. Who knows? The Bible says that heaven is on earth. A new earth recreated in perfection. Think about Genesis 1. That heaven, the Bible says heaven comes down and it's on earth. And we see all these earthly characteristics of heaven. And John said that he saw the earth, but he called it what he called, he called it the heavenly city. 
He said the heavenly city is going to come down. God's throne is going to come down. And, and it finally is going to be where, where man is. And we see this unbelievable description of the heavenly city in uh, Revelation chapter 21. Now, this is terminology that's used all over the Bible. As a matter of fact, we're told that in the Old Testament, the Old Testament saints look forward to this heavenly city that one day they would live in. Hebrews 11:16 says it this way, after talking about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and some of their wives, it says they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. They left their homes and they went to Israel, but yeah, they, they weren't really concerned about that. They were longing for a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 16 through 22, this city is laid out for us in pen and ink on a page. Write this down, God said, so that people can know it. And it's unbelievable. As a matter of fact, most of what you know about heaven comes from the descriptions of the heavenly city that you have heard somewhere in your life. Revelation 21, verses 16 through 22, uh, read like this. The city was laid out like a square. It was as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and he found it to be 12,000 stadia in length. And it was as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement. And it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper. And the city was made of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was gold, as pure as transparent glass. Now, we learn a lot about the heavenly city that's in this eternal heaven in Revelation chapter 1. First, we learn that it's huge. I mean, this is a very large city. If we put it in dimensions that we understand, say, what is 12,000 stadia? 12,000 stadia is about 1,400 miles. Listen closely, and I'm going to give you some comparisons so you can understand the size of this city. This city is 2 million square miles from the floor of the city. The boundaries of the city are 2 million square miles. The boundaries of the continental United States are 2.9 million square miles. So this heavenly city would cover almost all of the United States of America. India, as a country, India on a globe, is 1.2 million square miles. So the heavenly city is almost twice the size of the country of India. Uh, The metro area of Los Angeles is less than 5 Hundred square miles. Uh, Metro New York City, stretching all the way from a Boston to Philly connection, is less than 6,000 square miles. So you're talking about a city, 2 million square miles. And get this, the Bible says that it's surrounded by a wall. And when we study all the colors in that wall and all the jewels in that wall, some scholars would say, you know, the Bible says it's a wall made of jasper, but it literally would, would be a wall that we would recognize as a diamond. A two million square foot wall wrapping around a city twice the size of the country of India, almost the whole size of America. And get to it, according to the Bible, this wall is 216 feet thick. So to enter it, you're walking through a gate. And by the way, what do we always call the gates of heaven? We call them the pearly gates. You understand why now? Twelve gates, each made of a single pearl. Pearly gates. You get it now. Each of these pearly gates will be a single pearl. Who knows how big it'll be? 
But we know 216 feet long. A basketball court, a regulation-sized basketball court, is about 94 feet long. So if you can picture the thickness of a wall, the tunnel, these gates that you would pass through are more than twice the length of this wall to that wall. And you can imagine the brilliance of the colors and the light and the diamonds as you pass into this heavenly city. The Bible says that the gates are made of pearl. The Bible says that the streets are made of gold. These are terms that we've heard, but maybe we don't know the biblical address form. And here it's all laid out. And I hear people say, Christian, how can that be possible? How could, you know, how could there be a diamond 216 feet thick? How could there be streets of gold? Let me ask you a question. Where are gold and diamonds right now? Just in jewelry stores? Where do jewelry stores get them? The earth. They're already there right now. They just need someone to uncover them and dust them off. They're already right there. You know, there are mountains of gold or were mountains of gold out in western United States. Can you imagine if the soil were facelifted off of them where you could see the mountain of gold? You see, God's going to restore a new earth and he's going to put on it this heavenly city that is just unbelievable. But the crown jewel of the heavenly city isn't like the jewels. The crown jewel of the heavenly city isn't the gold and the diamonds and the pearly gates. According to scripture, the crown jewel of the heavenly city, kind of the, the central part of the heavenly city is the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden that we read about in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Everything that was trapped inside of it after the fall of sinful man comes down and there literally is a what we would think of as a central park in downtown heavenly city address earth that is the Garden of Eden. Where is that? Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. Here's what it says. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. It was as clear as crystal flowing down from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. So it's inside the city. Each side, on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves, are for, leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation. So the Bible says that not only do you have this unbelievable heavenly city but right in it you have this kind of central park that is the Garden of Eden and the tree of life. Right? The mythic tree of life that we've seen movies about and we've seen pictures about and we've read novels about. The mythic tree of life is going to be in our heaven. As a matter of fact, there's a bunch of trees of life. They line the river all up and down the street. And you can go to that tree of life. The Bible says anytime you can pass in and out. The river of life is there. Revelation 22, 1 and 2. As clear as crystal flowing through the streets of this city. If you can picture in your mind Venice... Paris, some of these cities that have rivers running through them, beautiful rivers. You, you can begin to picture the city in your mind. You think this is going to be unbelievable. And the Bible says the heavenly city is where God himself dwells. On, in the heavenly city, on earth. You say, well, wait a minute, why would God want to come out of heaven to live on earth? Well, think back to Genesis 1 and the whole story of the Bible, right? God stepped out of heaven and he created a place where he could live with humanity. And there's no need that Satan's going to run him out of his place and chase him back home. God said, no, I'm going to live on earth with the people I've created that I love for eternity. It was always God's plan, and it ends up being God's plan. That's what heaven is like. You think about that, and you're like, wow, that is incredible. A new earth with a heavenly city, with a garden of Eden, heaven is going to be awesome. But then we ask this question, well, what, like, what am I going to do in heaven? And this is, a, uh, this is a question that, that I think people need answered. 
You know, the number one question asked of heaven online is, is heaven boring? And I read this in a book this week about heaven. Someone said, when I considered that heaven could be like a never-ending Sunday church service, I considered choosing hell. You know, is, is heaven more than like just going to church all day, every day for the rest of our life? Because that might not be very fun, Christian, going to church every day for the rest of my life. You know, the Bible says in heaven we'll live our eternal life. So what does that mean? It means we'll live life very much like we live life now, according to the Bible. You say, who would be our examples in this? We only have two people who we have ever seen created to live forever on a perfect earth, living with God, and their names were Adam and Eve. Our best examples for what humans will do in eternity on a perfect earth, living with God, is what Adam and Eve did on a perfect earth, living with God, before sin came and ruined the whole thing. So there are examples. But we have plenty of verses throughout the 66 books of Scripture that expand upon just their lives. The Bible says, Eric Clapton asked this question, right? Will you know my name? The Bible says in Luke 16 that in eternity we we have our names. I'm Christian, you're whoever you are. I hope God lets me go by my middle name because my first name is Gary, but that's my dad. So if everyone in heaven called me Gary, that'd be awkward. So I hope I can go by Christian. But the Bible says we'll have our names. In Luke chapter 16, Moses and Elijah came down from heaven and talked with Jesus. And guess what Jesus called them? Moses and Elijah. They had their names. You'll have your name. Your relatives in heaven will will have their name. We, We will be us. The Bible says that we'll have our senses. Because that's how God created us in perfection in Psalm 139, 14. When God says, I put your body together perfectly. That body has five senses And those senses will be carried into heaven, tasting and seeing and touching and hearing and feeling. The Bible says that we have bodies. For people say, like, like, am I going to be like a spirit? The Bible says we have bodies. In Luke 24, verses 13 through 24, we see Jesus' resurrection body. You say, are we going to be Jesus? Just like Jesus' resurrection body? I'm not sure. I hope so. He could, like, go through doors without opening them and, like, jump from one place to another. I mean... Like, I'm all for that. I would vote yes on having a body like Jesus, because that seems to be very cool to me. But the Bible says that we'll have bodies. The Bible says that we'll have places that we live in. We'll have a dwelling place. Uh, The old King James calls it mansions. Jesus told the disciples that, uh, you know, I'm going to go prepare a mansion for you. Really, that's probably the poorest translation of that word in the English language. It's more like rooms. The New International Version, the New Living Translation, uh, quote that correctly. Just I'm going to go prepare a place for room for you. It's kind of like a picture of, of condos that God owns. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms. I'm going to go get one of them ready for you. So maybe we'll live in some kind of like, like heavenly condo, big hotel suite. The Bible says we eat and drink. Hallelujah. Praise God. You know, I mean, this is another cool thing about heaven. All over Scripture, Luke 22, Revelation 19, Revelation 7, Isaiah 25, Ezekiel 49, we continually see pictures of heaven and there's eating. I was bummed out this week because I read in a book about heaven that probably in heaven there will be no meat because nothing will die. And it's like, mm, you know, okay, I still want to go there, but like that, that you know, that stinks. Um, like, I can't give me a filet up in here. And it's like, well, you'd have to kill a cow. And it's like, okay, nothing dies in heaven, so... Berries and fruit it is, you know, I guess. Um, I don't know. It's just what the Bible says. Um, the Bible says that we learn, which is really cool because, you know, it's like, I can't wait to go to heaven and, and just know everything. That's not exactly the way it happens. In First Corinthians 13 and Ephesians chapter 2, 
And then in Revelation, we hear people in heaven asking God questions, asking Jesus questions, asking the heaven, asking angels questions. So there's this continual learning process. We'll have the ability to perfectly understand. We'll have the ability to perfectly know. But there's there's this learning that goes on while we learn, hey, what you know, what's this, what's going on? How, how does this work? The Bible says that we rest. Revelation 14, 13, Hebrews 4, 11, Genesis 2, 2. God built into the creation week of the perfect world a day to, to just do nothing. So probably, scholars say, there'll be a day of rest. Perhaps we'll sleep. Genesis 1, 5 said every day of perfect creation had a night and a day. So perhaps there'll be a time where, where we go to sleep. By the way, there were a night and a day before there were even a sun or a moon. So you say, well, wait a minute. I didn't think there's any no night in heaven. Well, it won't be not dark like we understand it, but I believe there'll be a period of sleep. And the Bible says that we work, which has just deflated this entire message for all of you. It's like, man, I hate my job. Revelation 22.3 and Genesis 2.15 both refer to it. Remember, Adam and Eve in a perfect world, the perfect world, uh, living with God before everything had gone wrong. They had jobs. They worked. They had things to do. So we'll have things to do. Randy Alcorn in his book, Heaven. By the way, if you want to read the greatest book on heaven ever written, um, it's probably the quote. We'll have it at the end of the quote. Write this down. Alcorn says, what kind of work will we do in heaven? Maybe you'll build a cabinet with Joseph of Nazareth or with Jesus. Maybe you'll tend sheep with David, discuss medicine with Luke, sew with Dorcas, make clothes with Lydia, design a new tent with Paul or Priscilla, write a song with Isaac Watts, ride horses with John Wesley or sing with Keith Green. Maybe you'll write a theology of the Trinity, bouncing your thoughts off of Paul, John, Polycarp, Cyprian, Augustine, Calvin, Wesley, or even Jesus. Our work will be joyful. It'll be fulfilling. And it'll give glory to God what could be better. So the Bible says that's what we do in heaven. So, you know, so like I'm not just going to like sit naked on a cloud and like play a harp all day. Not according to the Bible. You mean like I'm not going to have wings and be an angel? Not according to the Bible. You mean I don't just have to go to a never-ending church service? Not according to the Bible. And see, the facts that I get about my eternity, I get right here. Which leads me to what I said last week. How can you know we can trust this? How do we know this is true? How do we know this isn't just what someone wants heaven to be? How do we know this is actually a picture of God's eternity? I can't explain all that here in one service. Uh, really, it's probably not even fit to be discussed on a Sunday morning because it takes too long. So you will get, as you leave today, a little postcard. Uh, every now and then we'll do kind of an extended worship time and and on friday september 14 we're going to have probably a three three and a half hour services only for heavyweights it's not for lightweights that just want to get in and out and check there i went to church card but if you want to know why you can trust the bible on september 14 we'll, we'll have extended worship we'll have extended teaching we'll take communion together and i'm going to teach through but it'll probably take me two hours two and a half hours to teach you why you can trust the bible so when you read about the heaven of the bible you can say you know i really believe that's going to be real because I have proof of why I can believe the Bible. So just want to tell you that. Clear your Friday. Come hang out with us. And you'll have the confidence that I have in this book uh, after you leave that. So listen. You, so you know what the Bible's like. Or you know what heaven's like. You know what you'll do in heaven. But here's the question this morning that's most important. Uh, question number three. What, what's the purpose of heaven? And here's the question that, uh, that I want to pose to you, because it was posed to Moses in Exodus chapter 33. Would you, after hearing about heaven, after hearing about the new earth, the heavenly city, the Garden of Eden, 
all the things you'll do in heaven, would you go there even if God wasn't there? Would you go there even if Jesus weren't there? You know, in the book of Exodus, the Israelites who had been slaves in Egypt for more than 400 years were presented with kind of a, a, a heaven-on-earth reality, what was called the promised land, Israel. And God had promised them, I'm going to take you out of bondage and I'm going to take you to this like perfect place where you're going to be able to become a nation. You're going to live for me, you're going to serve me, it's going to be awesome. And they started taking this long trek from Egypt kind of up through the, the Sinai Desert, um, kind of swinging around the Mediterranean Sea to work their way into Israel. And about halfway there, they really upset God. And uh, God and Moses kind of, you know, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. While Moses was getting the Ten Commandments, the Israelites were down at the base of the mountain. They were making an idol, worshiping an idol, and said, you know, God didn't do this. The idol did. And God told Moses, just get off the mountain. Get out of here. Moses went down, was so angry. Not a lot of people fully understand the whole story. He threw down the Ten Commandments. They broke. Uh, and then he went and he, he took the golden calves that they had made and he burned them, melted them into gold, and then he turned them into powder and he put them in the water and he made everyone drink it to make sure they would never forget what they'd done. I mean, crazy story. And then he went back up the mountain and was like, okay, God, sorry about that. Um, we really messed up. Can we start this all over again? And here's what God said in Exodus chapter 33, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I'll give it to your descendants. I'll send an angel before you. I'll drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I won't go with you because you're a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. Then Moses said to him, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. Let me ask you a question. I think we've got some broken theology in our world. I think we have too many Christians who live their life hoping to die and go to heaven than live their life hoping to die and be with God. And I think a lot of American Christians, if given the choice, hey, listen, would you choose heaven even if God wasn't there? A lot would say, yeah, like I can go to heaven and I don't have to live for Jesus. I can go to heaven and I don't have to obey God. Count me in. Moses was given that opportunity. God said, listen, you want the promised land? You can have the promised land. All the blessings I promise you, you can have them. Except I ain't going. And Moses said this to God. All the blessings in the world are nothing if you are not there with us. I don't want the land. I want you, God. See, we need more Christians in the world who are more excited to go be with God when they die, however it looks, wherever it is, than are excited to go to heaven and see the streets of gold, to ski the 100,000-foot mountain, to water ski on lakes that literally were birthed in the river of life. We need Christians who love God more than stuff, love God more than church, love God more than heaven. One of my professors at Liberty University, Dr. Elmer Towns, I heard him say this when I was a freshman. I didn't really understand it until I got into ministry later. He made this statement to the freshman class at Liberty University when I was there. He said, I think most Christians are going to have a major adjustment when they get to heaven because they've lived their life without having to pay much attention to God. And to get to eternity and have to focus on God will be difficult for them because their Christianity has not been based on a relationship and spending time with the presence of God. You know, Alcorn says this, we, we may imagine 
as Christians that we want a thousand different things. But God is the one we really long for. His presence brings satisfaction. His absence brings thirst and longing. Our longing for heaven is or should be a longing for God. A longing that involves not only our inner beings, but our bodies as well. Being with God is the heart and soul of heaven. Let me repeat that. Being with God is the heart and soul of heaven. Every other heavenly pleasure will derive from and be secondary to God's presence. God's greatest gift to us and God's greatest gift to us is and always will be himself. So you say, what's, Christian, what's the purpose of heaven? Simple, threefold. One, it's where God is. According to Revelation chapter 21, verses 22 and 23, the most important thing about heaven on earth in the heavenly city where the Garden of Eden, the most important thing is this where God is. And not only is it where God is, but secondly, it's where we can be with God, according to Revelation 22.4. See, what's the difference between a place being where God is and being with God? Well, have you ever gone to Washington, D.C.? Visiting Washington, D.C., where the president is, would be a lot different than having lunch in the Oval Office with the president, right? So it's one thing to be where God is. It's another thing, like, to be with God. And the Bible says heaven is where God is, and it's where we're with him. And listen to me. Listen to me real close. When this desire, being where God is and being with God, becomes our greatest earthly desire, Heaven will only be the culmination of everything that we have ever longed for in life. That's why David, who, who had a heart for God, had it so right when he penned in Psalm 27, 4. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I might be where God is, and to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple, to be with God. David said, here's the only thing I want out of life. I want to be where God is, and I want to be with God. You see, there's a lot of people who want to go to heaven. But they, they, it's not because they want to be where God is and they want to be with God. They just want to go to heaven. Or if we got down to the heart of the matter, they just don't want to go to hell. It's like, well, do you want to go to heaven? Well, like, if I don't go to heaven, where do I go? Hell. Ah, all right, I'll go to heaven. But the longing of their heart isn't to be where God is with God. Yet this is the heart of Christianity, what David said in Psalm 27, 4. That's why it says in Revelation 22, 3 and 4, No longer is there going to be any curse, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him, and they will see his face. See, the purpose of heaven is to be where God is, to be with God, and thirdly, to worship God and to intimately know Jesus, according to Revelation chapter 5 and 7. You say, we're going to have to sing the whole time in heaven? Not the whole time, but probably a lot of it. That's why, you know, when I, when I see people in church that, like, wait till the worship's over to come in because they don't like the music, it's like, you're really going to have to get used to heaven because I, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of that. You know, you're not just going to be able to sit for the sermons. There'll probably be a lot more singing than speaking in heaven. Um, but worship is not just singing. Worship is any action that acknowledges God with a sense of worth. It's any time you walk outside. Have you ever walked outside like on a crisp morning after it's been 100 degrees and your first thought is, oh, thank you, God, for this beautiful weather? That's an act of worship. Or you're driving along and you drive into Denver and you see the Rocky Mountains on the horizon and you think, man, praise God, that's an act of worship. Or you look at a sunset and you admire it, not for what it is, but who created it. Wow, God, thank you. That's an act of worship. 
Heaven will be filled with where literally every day life, everything in life will point to and thank you, God, for this. Eternal life, according to John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only God, and Jesus whom you've sent. This is eternal life, to know God and to know Jesus. Which means our heavenly challenge is this. As we sit here, August 26, 2012, you say, well, man, I can't wait for heaven. Guess what? You don't have to wait. You can start now doing what's most important in heaven. Trying to be with God where God is. Trying to know Jesus better. Our heavenly challenge becomes Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Where Paul says to the church in Colossae this, if you were raised with Christ. Say, what does that mean? If you're a Christian. That's what it means. If you've given your life to Jesus and you're a Christian, then seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. If you're a Christian, seek heaven. Oh, yeah, I want to go to heaven when I die. No, right now, if you're a Christian, seek heaven. How? Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, and you also will appear with him in glory. Listen, you want a little bit of heaven on earth right now? Try to be where God is, with God, getting to know God and Jesus a little more clearly. If you do that, you're going to be the best prepared Christian for heaven that there ever was. It's a place I want you to know about. It's a place I want you to go. This is my only two goals today. I want you to know about heaven. I want you to go there. Do you know for sure that when you leave this earth, you're going to go to an eternal heaven? You can know that before you leave today. Why don't you pray with me? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm going to ask everyone... Just hang around. I know we're a couple minutes over. That's okay. With every head bowed and every eye closed, my goals today are that you know about heaven and that you know that you're going to go there. Today, if you've listened, you know about heaven. But if you don't know you're going to go there, let's, let's fix that today. Or perhaps in your heart you've been longing for heaven for heaven's sake, but you didn't understand it's really about a relationship with God and Jesus then we can refocus today with heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're in this room and you want to know for sure before you leave this room today that heaven is going to be your eternal home, God says you need to get where Adam and Eve started, get where eternity eternity finishes. You need to have a relationship, a personal relationship with God by placing your faith in Jesus as his son to forgive you of your sins, to right your wrongs, to change your life. If that's your desire today, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm, I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer. Say, I don't know how to pray. You, you, I'll say the prayer, and all you have to do is follow after me. You don't even have to say it out loud. You just pray it in your heart today, and the prayer is this, Dear God, just repeat after me in your heart, Dear God, today I long to be close to you like Adam and Eve were in the beginning, like what is described in Revelation. God, I want to be with you where you are, and I want to know you. Today, by faith, I ask God that you will receive me as your child. I understand my life doesn't deserve that, but that Jesus died to forgive me of my sin and to make me brand new. So today, by faith, I ask you to forgive me for where I've wronged you. I ask you to turn my life around that I might live for you. And I ask you to give me this 
wonderful eternal life with you when I die. With every head bowed and every eye closed, please nobody looking around just for the sake of those around you. If you just prayed that prayer today, said today I began a relationship with God, today I became a Christian, with nobody looking around, would you just slip your hand up just real quick so that I can know today that God's moving in your life? Yes, anyone else? Yes, anyone else? Yes, anyone else? Yes, anyone else? God, thank you for these. Yes, I see that. Thank you, Lord, for these that said, hey, today, today I nailed it down with God, not only because I want to go to heaven, but I want to be close to God. Thank you for what you're doing in our church as we study your word. Now, every head is bowed and every eye closed. We're going to end this week like we ended last week. If you have someone in your life that you're not sure if today were to be their last day on earth, that they would live in heaven because you don't know if they've done business with God and they've got peace in their heart if they've been forgiven, then I want you to pray for that person right now where you are. You don't have to pray out loud, but just in your heart. I want you to pray for that person by name. And here's what I want you to pray. Pray that on September 23rd, they will come to church with you and that their heart will be soft. That's all we can do. God has to do the rest. Right now, pray for that person by name. God, I pray for Pam and Sue and Mom and Dad and whoever. Pray for that person by name that on September 23rd, they will come to church with you and that their heart will be soft. And we'll let God do the rest. Now, God, we thank you for what you've done today. Because only you can change people's lives, move hearts, give eternity. Only you can explain it and show it. So thank you for pulling back the curtain to show us what's coming. It's really cool. We're excited. But Lord, help us to get ready. A little heaven on earth now by being with you, trying to be where you are, getting to know you. We love you. We see things in Jesus' name today. And everyone said, amen. Here's what I want everyone to do.